what we're talking about. We're wrapping up our gospel-centered series, our core values. We started on January 9th and 10th, and we relaunched. We relaunched the church. You know, it's been a little over five years. Actually, it'll be six years on April 4th now that I'm thinking about it, that we've been a church. And there's a, there's a time of drift that takes place. We said, we need to refocus on why we do what we do. So we started with the relaunch. And after the relaunch, we said, the, the first thing we need to focus on is, is a gospel centered discipleship, about being a disciple, about making a disciple, and and how we can do that. And then we went to a gospel-centered prayer about praying prayers of desperation to God, and and we went to gospel-centered community about when we gather, we're gathering in His name, and that carried into gospel-centered worship. And we talked about the worship, and we talked about what we chase after and and what we don't and and how we should be chasing after God and all the things that he is. And then last week we got into our first week of gospel-centered evangelism. Now you hear I'm using this this word gospel, gospel gospel-centered, over and over and over again. And the reason why we want to do that is because that's what we've been called to do. I'm not even sure if you realize the Bible in itself is gospel-centered. The Bible itself is a grand story, and it starts off with creation and, and the creation of, of everything that is and God creating it, and then there's a fall, and then throughout the, the time, everything's pointing up to this, this central climactic event, and that central climactic event is the gospel. It is the good news of Jesus Christ coming, coming down from heaven, living a life that we could never live, dying a death that we deserve raising and defeating death, defeating sin for us, and everything after the gospel is in response to that. And that is the story that we have. That is the grand story. And you know what the great thing about that grand story is? Is that our stories, each and every one of your lives, my life, every life that is out there plays a small little piece in that grand story of what God has laid out for us. And that gospel is centered right there on us, and it should be the central focus of everything that we do. And everything we do as a church during the weekend and everything we do as a, as a church during the week. And when I say a church during the week, I mean the individual bodies that make up our church, make up the church. It doesn't just have to be ours. It could be any church up and down northern. Northern is just full of churches. It's amazing. And, you know, all as we look down there, all of them should be gospel-centered. All the people that make up those churches and our global church should be gospel-centered. It should be where we're at. And as we lay this out, and we see this gospel-centered evangelism, I guess maybe the first thing we need to do is explain what the gospel is and explain what it really means. When we say gospel-centered evangelism, what's that mean? When we say gospel-centered discipleship or prayer or worship or community, what does that mean? When we look at the word gospel, and I'm going to tell you something, okay? Um, I took Greek in college for two weeks. Because I just, I, I actually, the day that I signed out of the class, I actually said, it's all Greek to me. And that was it. I was, I was done. And I'm not joking. I was a high school, college kid, and that was just the way it was. But I, I couldn't do it. I was an elementary education major. I didn't need it. I thought I would take it so I could be smart. I failed at that, and you get me now as a, as a result. But the beautiful thing is, the beautiful thing is, is that technology has come a long way in the last 20 years. And there are software programs that do the Greek for you. That's why I didn't have to take it. I knew. I was a prophet. I knew what was to come. And uh, so um, I I understood that I didn't have to have it. And and now there's these programs. Uh, You know, it's amazing even to see it now take place the way that technology works. This week, Monday's my day off. And uh, Camden came to me and he said, I need help with my algebra. And I said, okay. Um, And for two hours, I sat there with him doing algebra. And I remembered how much I hated it in high school. 
and it came all flooding back to me. And there was a question that I had when I was in high school, and that question was this, when will I ever use algebra in my entire life? You know when it is? As a parent, helping my son answer the question, when will he ever use algebra in his entire life? But there's this beautiful website that is out there that you can plug in the equation, and it will answer it for you step by step. Yes, technology is amazing, and it happens for the Greek as well. As a matter of fact, Corey, he, he sent me an app this week that said, on your phone, you can take a picture of the equation, and the app will answer it for you. And I'm like, God is good. Praise the Lord. And so I told Cam, and he couldn't use that. We still had to go through it, but at least we had a little bit of help along the way. And that's the same way I feel about the Greek, because you know the great thing about the, the original writings of Scripture is that the Greek and the Hebrew and the Aramaic, they used words that were better descriptors than the English word that sometimes has been translated into. And, and we'll see that kind of throughout today. But the word gospel in the Greek is actually both a noun and a verb. And it's a, it's a slight difference in it. And I want you to catch what it says. And I might mispronounce it just a little bit, but the, the noun part of it all is evangelion, and the verb is evangeliso. Do you hear a word maybe that might be the English translation of the gospel? Well, if you think of evangelism and evangeliso, it's it. So when we actually say gospel-centered evangelism, it's kind of a redundant phrase. We're saying the same thing twice. But even as we look at the gospel, the gospel is the noun, that word, is the good news. And as we look at it being the good news, the verb of it actually means to spread the good news. So when we say the gospel-centered evangelism means we are focused on the good news and we are focused on spreading it. And that's what we're supposed to do as a church. That's what we're supposed to do as a group. That's what we're supposed to do as followers of Christ. Now the bad, sad thing is, is that we talked about it last week. Statistics say 90% of Christians, 90% of followers of Christ will never share their faith. That means only 10% will. And we look at that statistic and we say, but that's what we're supposed to do. The gospel, the good news, is us going and sharing it. That's what we're supposed to do. Why do we not? Why do we hold back? We look at the, I'm not sure if you saw the video, it's on YouTube, it's on our Paragon Church YouTube page, but we put together a drone video where we sent up a drone, kind of did a whole side of the entire area, and you could see how well our church could reach, and we drove some of the streets and said, we're not that far away from all these people that need to hear the gospel. In, in the Albuquerque, Rio, Corral, uh, Rio Rancho, Corrales area, there are roughly 650,000 people. 591,000 of them have never heard or at least never responded to the gospel. 591,000 people that we run into on a daily basis do not know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Who is going to tell them? Why is it left to that 10%? What's going on with the other 90% that say, I don't need you, I don't want to, I shouldn't? And we talked last week about some of the excuses that we come up with. Or maybe some of the reasons that we have for not sharing the gospel. The first one we said was people just don't understand. People don't understand the importance. They don't understand the importance. They don't understand the the gravity of eternity. We have this idea that this is it. 
But it's not. As a matter of fact, what we have here is so minute compared to eternity, it's ridiculous. What we have here is, is going to end. I, I hate to tell you that. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. If you haven't figured it out or not yet, we are all getting older all the time. And I found that out this week. I took Camden with me to the gym this week, and we're working out. And as we're working out, he's like, oh, Dad, my leg hurts. I said, well, you're getting old. He's like, I'm not old. I said, yes, you are. Every second. There's no Benjamin Buttons in this room. We're all getting older. If you haven't seen the movie, you, you just totally missed that reference. But that's okay. Don't worry about it. There, there's, there, everybody's moving closer to the end. Nobody gets out of this thing alive. And as we see that and we see people and we see the people that we run into, wherever it might be, whatever store you might be in, whatever restaurant you might be in, whatever workplace you're involved in, whatever school you're at, wherever you're at, we see people eye to eye, face to face, and we have to come to the understanding that they will spend eternity somewhere. Whose job is it to tell them where it could possibly be? Is it just the 10%? People don't understand the importance. I think also people just don't understand. I don't think they think it's necessary. I think we lose the fact that when the gospel came, and it's called the good news, the reason why it's called the good news is because it has to be the opposite of bad news. And as we look at it as the opposite of bad news, what's the bad news? Well, guess what? I bet you could figure out the bad news without even me telling you. If you watched the news last night, if you get news updates on your phone, if you watch the political debates for three seconds, you understand the bad news. The world is broken. The world is broken and it needed to be fixed. Well, guess who came and fixed it? The good news. Jesus Christ was sent from heaven by his Father to fix the brokenness. And guess what? You know that, hopefully, And if you don't, I'm going to give you an opportunity to learn about it today. And if you do know it, what are we doing with it? How do we move forward? It's important. And we have to understand that when the the good news is there, it needs to be shared. Jesus was sent. He was the original missionary. Well, guess what he did to us in John chapter 20, verse 21? It says this. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. We're being sent. It is the calling that we have. It's what Jesus has laid out there for us. Matthew 28, 19 and 20 says, go and make disciples. Go. Wherever you are going, make disciples and teach them and baptize them. And as you're teaching them, teach them to obey what I've commanded and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's a big deal. Go wherever you're going, whether it be to school or to work or your community or your neighbor or that family reunion, whatever it might be, as you are going, be my witnesses. Share the gospel. Mark 16, 15 says, go and proclaim the gospel to the entire world, all the nations. That is our calling. But we don't understand that. We don't hold on to that. We forget that it's our job to do it. Third thing we said is that people don't think they've been gifted in the area of evangelism. They believe it's a spiritual gift. I told you last week, I don't believe it is. I believe it's a gift that that we all are given, that we all have uh, laid out upon us as a challenge, as a command, not a suggestion, but a command, that there are some people that are better at it, and they train the people that that are not as good at it, and we all go together in that command. The fourth thing is, this is the one I want to focus on today. We talked about it last week, but I believe that people don't want to pay the price. 
I believe there is a price that is out there for each and every single one of us. There is a, there's a, a reputation that it may cost us. There is a, a reaction that it may cost us. There is a relationship that it may cost us if we share the gospel. And we're scared of that. And we, we come to the place where we say, I just don't think I can do it. I can't pay that price. Well, today what I want to do is I want you to open up, if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to open up to Romans chapter 1. And in Romans chapter 1 today, we're going to see Paul's heart on the line. Now, excuse me for a second. Paul, as we already know, or I mentioned last week, Paul was Saul. And Saul was an executor of Christians. He was an imprisoner of Christians. He wanted to wipe out this nonsense called Christianity. That was his goal. Then he met Jesus and everything changed. And his whole heart changed and his whole life changed and everything about him changed and he started to encourage Christians. And in this letter, he's actually encouraging a church in Rome, a church that's made up of Jews that knew the Old Testament, that knew all of the ways of the things that you were supposed to do, the religious things you were supposed to do, as well as he was, it was built up of Gentiles who were wanderers, who were without faith. They heard about Jesus, they accepted him, and now there's this church that's coming together and they're growing and he's going to encourage them. Well, guess what? That's, that's kind of us too. We kind of are like the church at Rome. So as he's writing this, he's not just writing it to them, but he's also writing it to us. And he's using it as an encouragement. And in this encouragement, he's not just writing words on a page. And we're not just reading words off of a page. But instead, he's inspired by God to lay out his heart and his passion for people. So as we read it today, I pray that that's what you see. I pray that that's what you hear. As a matter of fact, let's pray right now that that's what God would speak to us about as we get into Romans chapter 1. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for your word, and thank you for your son, and thank you for each person that is represented in this room, each story that is represented in this room, each beginning, middle, and eventually an end to this life, but a beginning of a new one, a beginning of eternity. And we're looking forward to that day, God, that we get to meet you face-to-face. But God, we have a heart for those people who, after they meet you, won't continue to spend time with you, who will be cast away from you. God, I pray that that same heart that Paul has that he's going to lay out on this page, that God, we have it as well. Pray it in your name. Amen. So reading in Romans chapter 1, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. And I want you to see, because verses 16 and 17 really are the theme of the gospel of Romans, of, of the, uh, I'm sorry, the, the, the epistle of Romans, the, the book of Romans. They're the theme that is there. But I want you to see what leads Paul up to being able to say what he says in verse 16. So listen with me as we read. It says, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you. 
Because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit and in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you, always in my prayers, asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some of the harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you and also who are in Rome. And here's that theme. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is in the righteousness of God it is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Here is the heart of Paul. Here we see it lay out. Like I said, it's more than just words on a page. It is what he is inside. And he's saying, here's this way for us to build up our foundation to get to the idea and the knowledge and the ability to say, I am unashamed. I am not ashamed of the gospel. How did he get there? Well, he laid out basically his testimony of of how to build that foundation to get to that point. And these first 15 verses to lead up to that. So what I would like to do is I would like to take a look at these foundational verses and these foundational thoughts and what we need to do. And the first thing I think that is the foundation number one, in order to not be ashamed of the gospel, we need to remember whose we are. We need to remember whose we are. See, when Paul opens up in that first verse, he lays out, what, three different things. I am a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be apostles, set apart for the gospel of God. We need to remember whose we are. He understood whose he was. He understood each set apart thing that he was for God. And he was saved by Jesus. He was going the wrong way on a road, and Jesus stepped right in front of him, met him face to face, and everything changed. And each and every one of us, if you've met Jesus, you, I bet, could say the same thing, that you were going the wrong way. You met Jesus, and everything changed, or at least began to change. And there's a change that is still taking place in our life, and it's playing it out. And he says, I want you to remember whose you are. And as you remember whose you are, you'll look at these things and first see that you're a servant of the gospel. You're a servant of the good news. And as we see that servant thing, we understand who he's writing to. See, he was writing to these Jews, and he was writing to these Greeks. And as he wrote to them, he was telling them, hey, I'm speaking your language and you need to understand whose you are. When he says, you're a servant of the gospel, he once again is writing in a different language. We have one word for servant. But as Paul's writing it, he has a number of different words, and we're going to look at a couple of those. Once again, thanks to computer technology, we're able to do that, or else we would just skip right past all of this. But instead, we're going to look at the word servant. And the first word, when he says, I am a servant of Christ, he is saying in that, the word doulos, or doulos, however you want to pronounce that, and it means to be a slave. He is telling these people who fully understand slavery, who fully understand, they're right in the midst of it. He says, I am a slave to Christ. And he goes on to to tell them about that. And if you read the letter that he wrote to the Corinthian church, the first letter of the Corinthian church, it says in verses uh, 19 and 20 of chapter 6, he says this, 
Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Well, the reason why we are bought with a price is because we've been redeemed. Like a coupon is redeemed. He is bought with a price, and we were bought with a price. So we are not our own because we are owned by somebody else. And that somebody else is Jesus. We are a slave to Jesus. So he's making that clear in that first statement. But he also makes it clear we're not just a slave to Jesus. He's wrote in that same letter to the, the Corinthian church in, in chapter 3, verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. Now, we see that word servants, and we just assume, okay, well, is it the same thing? This one's different. He actually means a servant who waits on tables, and that's the word that he used. So not only am I a slave, but I'm also one who serves the master. I'm one who serves the one at the table. And even more so, you just skip a few more verses over in 1 Corinthians to chapter 4, verse 1. He says this, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, this, this servant one is completely different. It's a word we use often in our vocabulary, but it's under rower. I know you've used it in the last couple of days often, but an under rower, I'll explain it in case you haven't, uh, is the lowest of the low for the, sur- for the slave community. You were in a Roman ship on the very belly of the ship, and you were the one that was rowing. And if you were the one that was rowing, that was the worst job you could have and also the most dangerous. So think about what he's now said. I am a servant. I'm a slave. I'm a servant. I'm one who serves tables. I'm a servant. I am a under rower who has the most dangerous, worthless, least job in all of the community. What's he putting himself as? He's putting himself below. Because a lot of times we forget that when we're given a command by the master, that we're actually supposed to do it? And, and we forget that. Somehow or another, we kind of wander off thinking that we can tell the master what to do. And Paul is making it very clear. Understand whose you are. That's how, that's the first foundation to get to that place where you say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Because I realize it's what saved me. It's what bought me. It's what changed me. Well, the second foundation that we come to as we look at it is, is this. I'm sorry. The second part of that is, is that we're sent out with the gospel. That second part of that verse, that first verse. As we, as we see that we're servants of the gospel, we're also sent out. He said, I'm sent out one. I'm, I'm an apostle. When he used the word apostle there in verse 1, it means the sent out ones. The ones that were sent with a message. The ones that are sent to go and share that message. So that is the second part. Then the third part of verse 1, he says this, we're set apart for the gospel. Now, this is kind of a big deal for the people, especially the Jews that he's writing to. Because he sees, they see it, and they know that to be set apart by God for the good news is a big deal. Because if you look throughout the Old Testament, you see all the things that are set apart for God, it's a big deal. The tabernacle was set apart for God, for his glory. The temple that Solomon built was set apart for God, for his glory. Even if you look at something as simple as the tithe, as the first fruits that we give, when it says to give your 10%, the reason why it says to give your 10% is because we are setting that apart for God's glory. And that's what the Old Testament revealed. The Jews that he wrote to, they understood that. So when he says we are set apart for God, you know what that means? We're set apart for God's glory. That's our calling. That's why we exist. 
that's what we'll see this passage continue to play itself out with. We see this, and this is just the first verse that he's laying out to everybody. He says, remember who you are. Remember you're a servant. Remember you're an apostle who's sent out. Remember that you've been set apart for God's glory. And that begins that foundation to help us understand how not to be ashamed of the gospel. Well, the second thing we see is found in verses 2 through 4, is we need to recognize what we believe. We need to understand what we believe. It says this, which he promised, coming off of verse 1, beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son who was descended from David, according to the flesh, and was declared to be the son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness, by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. When you look at those three verses, that is the gospel in a nutshell. It's explaining who Jesus is. He understood what he believed. He recognized what he believed. He recognized what's going on. Remember how I said one of the problems we have is we don't understand. We don't understand the gospel. We don't understand how we are saved. We don't understand those kind of things, and that's why people don't share. Let me make it very simple for you. The gospel is the story. And that story is very simple and easy. And I, I worked with youth for a long time, and I tried to make it as simple and easy for them both to know and to share as possible. There's this thing called Evangelism Explosion, and it's a program that's real big. It's, it's worldwide. And in this program, they, they walk you through all these steps on how to lead somebody to the gospel. Well, I took it, and I simplified it down as much as I possibly could for you, so I'm going to do that for you as well. But it always started out with a question. It said, if you were to stand today before God, and he were to ask you, why should I I let you into my heaven, what would you say? And most people you ever ask that question to, they're immediately going to go to their good works. They're going to say, well, I'm a good person. I haven't done this. I haven't done that. But unfortunately, God doesn't work in that way. And you get to explain it this way. And it starts off with your thumb. And as you start off with the thumb, it's this. Heaven is a free gift. And I use the thumb as a, as a way to say, this is like hitchhiking. It's a free ride that you get. The thing is, it's not something you have to earn. It's not something that you deserve. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tell us very uh, clearly that it is by grace we've been saved through faith, and it's not of ourselves, not of our works, nothing that we do. So we have this free ride. The problem is, is that we now make this finger go out, and we understand this looks like a gun. At least in my house it does. And in that gun, it says this, that man is dead. Romans 3, 23 tells us that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as we all have fallen short of the glory of God, the great thing is, is there's a big, huge God that's up there in heaven, and, and he's here with us, and that is what is representing the biggest finger that's on our hand. And we say, this finger right here represents a God who's big, and his, his mercy is big, and his justice is big, and his love for us is big. And because he loved us, he sent Christ, who's represented, because he's the bridegroom, so represented by the, the ring finger here, he sent Christ to die on a cross for us. And as he died on that cross for us, he took my sins upon him. Well, he didn't stay dead. He rose again to defeat death and defeat sin. And all I have to do is I have to believe in faith. And if I believe in faith, faith, the Hebrew word for faith means to believe and then act out. And I act that out in my life and I have that in my life and I hold on to that. Well, faith the size of a mustard seed helped me remember the pinky. And that's it. It's that simple. That's the gospel that we believe. That's the story that is there. And if you understand that, that's the next step in taking it to the gospel, to the, to the world that needs to hear it. See, we need to do that. And the foundation for not being ashamed is first to understand whose you are. The second is to understand what you believe. The third is to understand why we're here. 
why are we here? And I don't mean here at church. I mean, why are we here at all? Why do we live the life that we live? Why do we hang out here? It can't be to get the next biggest car, can it? That can't be the reason why I exist, because that car is just going to get rusty and old, and I'm going to have to have something else. What is it that I am here for? Well, Paul tells us that in verse 5. Through whom, that Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among the nations. See, Paul received the gospel, but he knew it wasn't for him. God's aim in revealing the gospel to Paul was not so that Paul would have it. Let me say that again for you, and you can put your name in it. I'll put my name in it. God's aim in revealing the gospel to Matt was not so that Matt would have it. Why did he reveal it to us? Well, Paul, once again, in another letter to another church, Galatians, just a few books over, if you flip over there to your right, you go over and you see it says this in, first, uh, uh, sorry, in Galatians chapter 1, 15 and 16. It says, but when he who had set me apart, there's that set apart thing again, before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me. There's the gospel that's been revealed to him in order that I might join together in a Sunday school class and hang out and be able to talk about how good God is. Nope. In order that I might be able to go through my religious routine and feel a religious security so I could give God my get-out-of-hell-free card when I got to heaven. No, what's it say? That I might preach him among the Gentiles, that I might preach him among the nations, that I might preach him among the world. That is why we've been given the gospel. Gospel-centered evangelism is not Matt-centered. Gospel-centered evangelism is not you-centered. It is other-centered. It is God-centered and God calling us to go, God calling us to take that message out to people who need to hear it. And that goes for all of us. It's been revealed to us, that good news, and we're supposed to take it. Just as God sent Jesus, he is sending us. As a matter of fact, we looked at this verse last week, but Luke chapter 24, verses 46 and 47, he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer on the third day and rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. He died on the cross so his name would be proclaimed throughout the nations because he came to fix this world and he's using us as a tool to do it. That is what we're called to do. That is what we're supposed to do. We are here to glorify and exalt his name. The gospel is not for self-consumption. The gospel is for multiplication. It's for world distribution. That is what it's about. We are here to glorify and exalt his name. Everything revolves around him. God is glorified in the giving of the gospel. Guess who cannot save you? You. Guess who else cannot save you? Me. I would love to be an eloquent speaker. I am not. I would love to be able to manipulate you into believing the gospel is what it is and make you and force you to change your heart and change your mind. Guess what I can't do? That very thing. But God will. He will change your heart. He will change your mind. You just have to be open to it. God is the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. He's the giver of the gift of the gospel. He is the gift of the gospel. And he is the goal, the goal of the gospel for him to be glorified in it all. That's it. We have to come to that point. We have to understand that. We have to realize that. And that is why we are here to glorify God by going into all the world. 
But how does that start? Well, if you continue to look in that same passage, what does he do starting, I think it's about verse 8. He starts praying for them. He doesn't even know them. He hasn't had a chance to visit them yet, so he doesn't know them, but he's praying for them. And what's he praying for? He's praying for them to go. He's praying for them that they could reach out, and he's praying that he could come alongside someday and, and reap the harvest with them and among them. That's what he's praying for. Are we praying for that for each other? Are we praying that for ourselves, that we would have a burden for the lost, that we would go out there and see what is out there. And, and he comes to this place as he's praying, and he realizes this. He says this in verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you who are also in Rome. He came to this realization because of whose he is, because of what he believes, and because of why he's here, that he's under obligation. He has a debt to pay because Christ paid for him. All Christ asked for when he gave his all was for us to give our all back. That's it. That's, that's all he's asked for. It's not much. Now, the, the whole thing is, is that he's asked for that from our lives, and he says, This is what I want. You have a debt to pay. I have a debt to pay to return that to him. It's like this. If we have the ability to save somebody who is drowning, would we not save them? If we have the ability to save somebody who's in a burning house, would we not save them? If we have the ability of somebody who's sick to give them the medication, to give them the necessity to save them, would we do it? Well, God has given us that ability to lead them to salvation, to lead them to his son, Jesus Christ, who can save them, to to be an example, to reach out to them, to talk to them. He's given us that. Why don't we? I mean, would we truly let somebody drown if they were drowning right there in front of us? Would we sit down in a lawn chair and smile? Would we say, well, (laughs) better luck next time. Would we say, I really don't want to interfere in a relationship. It's going to make it awkward. That that, that wouldn't be it. That wouldn't be our response to it all. So we need to understand. And that is how he gets to verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, righteous shall live by faith. When it comes right down to it, we need to decide how we're going to respond. See, every time I write out a message, I write out questions. And in those questions, generally it says something like, what can we get from the passage? What can we learn from the passage? But most of all, how can we respond to the passage? Because it's not just about soaking it in. It's about responding. It's about acting out that faith. And we see this play out right here. How can we live proud? of the gospel? How can we truly not be unashamed? How can we possibly walk into a community that 1 Corinthians tells us that says the world thinks the gospel is foolishness? How can we walk up to our friends and share with them without being made the fool? How can that be? How can we go? And it's all built on those same foundations. Understanding whose we are, understanding what we believe, understanding why we're here. Because we are Christ's. We believe that he came, he died, and he saved us. And we understand that we're here to glorify him. That is how we're not ashamed. That is how we get past the foolishness. You know, I, I see Paul continue to write through the book of Romans. 
And he comes to Romans chapter 9. He writes this in the first three verses. And I want you to hear what he says here. I am speaking the truth in Christ. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. He's talking about the lost. He's talking about people that are surrounding him that that don't know Jesus. And for them, he has a great sorrow and an unceasing anguish. Let me just ask you a very simple question. When was the last time that you had a great sorrow or an unceasing anguish for your friend who doesn't know Jesus? When was the last time you had a great sorrow or an unceasing anguish for, for your classmate that doesn't know Jesus, for that family member that doesn't know Jesus, for your neighbor that doesn't know Jesus, for the person at Walmart that doesn't know Jesus? When was it that your eyes and your heart broke for that person that was across the table from you, across the counter from you, whatever it might be. When was it that that happened? Listen to what he says. For I could wish that myself, I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers. I so desperately want them to come to know Jesus that I would give up my salvation so they could have it. Just let that soak in. He's willing to give up his eternity so somebody else could have it. When was the last time you cared that much about somebody else? When was the last time that I cared that much about somebody else? That I'd be willing to lay my eternity on the line so they could find it. That is the beginning of the heart of effective gospel-centered evangelism. A God-given burden for those who don't know Jesus. This was his people. These were the Jews that he saw. Who are your people? Who are you burdened for? Who can you pray to God for? And I'm going to ask you this right here, right now. If we were to pray right now, God, give me a burden for the people of this world, for my people, the people I relate to the best, the people that I see every day, give me a burden for them. I'm going to tell you something. If you pray that prayer, your eyes will change. The way you see the world will change. The way you feel the world will change. Everything about you will change, and it's going to be uncomfortable. But ask God to do it, and ask God to work through you, because it's not you in the first place. It's all about Him. It all revolves around Him, and it's Him making that known. Today, I want you to pray, if you can, to have a burden for the lost. A burden for those without Jesus. And you know what? I have made it very clear that there's a story that's going on here. And in my life, I have the same story. There's a creation that took place. There's a fall that took place. There's a redemption that took place. And now my life is what is taking place after the redemption. I could go on and on about my testimony. I could share it in two minutes. Thing is, is that you have the same thing in your life. Because you're like, how do I share? Just share what God did. Nobody can deny your story. You had a creation. There's a, there's a fall that was in that creation. You met Jesus. Everything has changed since then. Talk about it. Two minutes. That's what people will give you. Two minutes. Share with them. Tell them about how Jesus changed your life and how they can change. he can change their life as well. And if you haven't met Jesus yet, if in that story there is no redemption yet, this morning some morning. I want to pray with you. Let's pray together right now. Father, thank you. Once again for your son, Jesus. Once again for an opportunity to be able to live. 
an opportunity to have another day, an opportunity to have another connection, meet another person. God, as we see these opportunities lay themselves out, they're not coincidental. Just like we talked about last week with Philip meeting the eunuch and crossing paths, it, it wasn't on accident. It was, a, it was an ordained appointment that took place, a divine appointment that took place. God, you have those in our lives every day. Help us to recognize them. Help us have a burden. Help us to see that way. I pray for a burden in my heart for the lost. I pray for my neighbors, that I see them differently. I pray for my family members that don't know you, that I see them differently. I pray this, God, that, that you can work through me to share your gospel with them, your good news about this brokenness. And God, I know there's people in here that are saying the same prayer. I pray that you give it to them. I pray this is the prayer that you answer because you say we need to pray for your will to be done. I know that's what your will is for us to see this world come to know you. God, give us that burden. And if there's anybody in here that's never met you as their personal Savior and they're hearing this story for the first time, that God, that your, your heaven is a free gift, but we fell. But you and your great mercy sent your son Jesus to die. And all we have to do is believe in faith and act out in that faith that we truly believe it. God, I pray that happens this morning. Pray it in your name. Amen.